Hello and welcome to What's the Story Ghost? I'm your host Annette. And I'm Stephen. And today we are on episode 46, not 45 or 44. I think the last episode I said 43 and you scribbled out 45, but you were correct. Uh, Stephen. Very nice. Do you know anything about Rainham Hall? No, never heard of it. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Or a y n h a m Rainham. I I would have pronounced it as Rainham as well. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Cool. We crack on. Crack on. Of all the homes we've covered, from stunning chateaus to scary mansions and ghostly castles, Rainham Hall is the first one for me that sort of encompasses all of those things. Plus, it ticks all the boxes to be the home in a thriller based in the 1600s. The long, poker-straight drive up to the home gives the illusion that the building is somehow growing as you get closer, making you feel incredibly small. However, the red brick used in the construction gives a warm and inviting look to a three-storey, white-windowed home, which is exactly what you need when you're visiting a large house like this. It can be very intimidating otherwise. Grand entrance, check. Beautiful dining room, check. Four poster beds, check. Harry Potter-like portraits, check. I say Harry Potter-like. After all, they are the kind of portraits I find it difficult to look at for too long because they look like they're about to come to life. The home is an architectural beauty and a stunning example of an English country house with obviously no expense spared. Okay, see that warm, fuzzy feeling you have now? Hold on to that, because Raynham Hall has some very old secrets. Quite possibly the most famous photographic proof of a ghost was taken here. And the ghost, you ask? Why, it was said to be Lady Dorothy Walpole, and she has been here for quite some time. But let's start from the beginning. After a false start in 1619, Sir Roger Townshend, an English landowner and politician, re-began construction of Rhynham Hall in 1622 in Norfolk, United Kingdom. Unfortunately, he wouldn't live to see it finished before he passed in 1637, but it was completed that year. Yes, 15 years sounds like I got my dates wrong, but honestly, while you're listening to the podcast, look up a picture. The home is enormous. The architect was Sir Roger Pratt. He only designed five known buildings, but he was highly influential, and it seemed that he had a style that he favoured, and that style was big. Okay, so let's fast forward a few years to 1671. Colonel Robert Walpole married Mary Burwell, the daughter of a local landowner. The couple welcomed 19 children, but sadly four passed before reaching adulthood. Of their 15 children, Dorothy Walpole was the 13th and was born in the family home in 1687 at Houghton Hall, another humongous house. Seriously, go look. Dorothy would fall in love with Lord Charles Townshend, her childhood sweetheart. But Dorothy's father was Charles's guardian, so refused to let them marry, as he feared it would be misconstrued as an effort to benefit his daughter. Charles eventually married the daughter of Baron Pelham of Lawton, and it said that Dorothy became the mistress of Lord Wharton. Charles became a widow in 1711, when his wife Elizabeth Pelham sadly died. At age 26, Dorothy married her childhood love, 
The date is something of a mystery, but it is thought to have been in 1713. Charles would become the British Secretary of State and Director of British Foreign Policy later in life, so I would love to say as a potential statesman he showed his wife a good life, but he seemingly had a wicked temper, which of course never ends well. I'm not sure when, but it wasn't until after they were married and had seven children that Charles found out about Dorothy's supposed relationship with Lord Wharton, and that's when everything went south. Now, as with most legends, it can be difficult to separate fact from fiction, especially with stories this old. But from what I can gather, either one of two scenarios led Dorothy to her demise. One account I read stated that Charles was absolutely furious when he discovered that his now wife had been the mistress of Lord Wharton. This rumour was based on an alleged infidelity of Dorothy during their marriage. Who was Lord Wharton, you ask? Well, so I don't digress too far from today's story, he is described as a man, quote, whose character was infamous and his lady's complacent subserviency so notorious that no young woman could be four and twenty hours under their roof with safety to her reputation. Another legend claims Dorothy was tricked. The Countess of Wharton, Lord Wharton's wife, had invited Dorothy to stay over for a couple of days. She knew Charles would never allow Dorothy to leave the house alone, and when he found out, he was enraged. However it happened, one way or another, Charles would end up locking Dorothy away, in their home, but away from her whole family. It's said that she remained there until she died in 1726. But then there's questions regarding her death as well. The most common belief is that she died of smallpox, but another theory is that she died after a fall down the stairs, and another that the broken-hearted Dorothy sadly took her own life. It was also suggested that Dorothy didn't die from smallpox at all, but that Charles held a fake funeral and continued to keep her prisoner until she died from time spent alone locked away in her apartment at Rhynham Hall. Charles' remaining years passed at Rhindham Hall. He became known as Turnip Townshend, as he had a keen interest in agriculture and adopted the four-crop rotation method. But no mention of another female companion, or an apology for potentially killing his wife, or being responsible for her misery. With no signs of the man showing any signs of remorse for his quick-tempered actions, it's no wonder Dorothy is now known as the Brown Lady of Rhindham Hall. The first recorded sighting of the ghost was by Lucia C. Stone in 1835 during a Christmas gathering at Rhenham Hall. I'm going to go out on a limb and say it wasn't a 160-year-old Charles, but a later member of the Townshend family who invited various guests to the hall to partake in the Christmas festivities. One of these guests was Colonel Loftus. Loftus and another guest named Hawkins said that they had seen the brown lady one evening as they approached their bedrooms, noting in particular the dated brown dress she wore. Loftus saw the brown lady again the next evening, later claiming that on this occasion he was drawn to the darkened eye sockets of her otherwise glowing face. Loftus' sighting led to some staff permanently leaving Rhenham Hall. 
She was seen again in 1836 by Captain Frederick Marriott, and this is by far my favourite story. Marriott requested that he spend the night in the haunted room at Rhynham Hall to prove his theory, that the rumours of a haunting were merely a ploy by local smugglers anxious to keep people away from the area. Marriott stayed at Rhynham Hall for three nights. After two nights of blissfully undisturbed sleep, Marriott was now even more certain of his theory. On the third night, however, two young men, nephews of the baronet, knocked at his door as he was undressing to go to bed. They asked him to give his opinion on a new gun that just arrived from London. Marriott was in his shirt and trousers, but as it was late and everyone had gone to bed except themselves, he agreed. As they were leaving the room, he grabbed his revolver he kept under his pillow. In case we meet the brown lady, he said laughing. When the inspection of the gun was over, the young men in the same spirit declared that they would accompany Marriott back to his room. In case you meet the brown lady, they repeated, again laughing. The corridor back to Marriott's room was long and now dark, as the lights had been extinguished given the hour of night it was. When they reached the halfway mark, they saw the glimmer of a lamp coming toward them from the other end. One of the ladies going to visit the nurseries whispered the young townshend to Marriott. Marriott suddenly realised he was only in his shirt and trousers. His native modesty made him feel uncomfortable, so he slipped within the outer door of the two-door bedroom to conceal himself, at least until the lady had passed by. His companions followed his example. He peeked out the gap in the door to see if she had passed. She was close enough now for him to distinguish the colour and style of her clothing, and then it hit him. He recognised the figure as the facsimile of the portrait that was currently hanging in the room he was staying in. It was rumoured that the portrait looked normal when seen during the day, but if seen by candlelight, the face became evil-looking and skull-like with no eyes. It was the brown lady. His finger on the trigger of his revolver, he was about to ask it to stop and explain its presence when the figure halted all on its own before the door he was hiding behind. She grinned maliciously and diabolically at him as she held the lighted lamp she carried to her features. This act infuriated Marriott so much so that he sprang into the corridor and discharged the revolver right in her face. Then she instantly disappeared. The figure at which for several minutes three men had been looking at and the bullet passed through the outer door of the room on the opposite side of the corridor and lodged in the panel in the inner one. Marriott never again attempted to interfere with the Brown Lady of Rhinum. Many years later, Lady Townshend reported that the Brown Lady was seen again in 1926 when her son and his friend claimed to have seen the ghost on the staircase, identifying the ghostly figure with the portrait of Lady Dorothy Walpole, which then hung in the haunted room. And then 10 years after that, Captain Herbert C. Provant, a London-based photographer working for Country Life magazine and his assistant Indra Shira, were taking photographs of Rhynham Hall for an article. They claimed that they had already taken a photo of Rhynham Hall's main staircase and were setting up to take another, when Shira saw a vapoury form gradually assuming the appearance of a woman moving down the stairs toward them. Provan removed the camera's lens cap 
under Shira's direction while Shira activated the flash with the trigger. It wasn't until the negative was developed that the famous image of the brown lady was revealed. A photograph of the brown lady and an account of Provand and Shearer's ghostly experience at Rhinham Hall were published in Country Life magazine on December 26, 1936. The photograph and the account of its taking also appeared in January 4, 1937 edition of Life magazine. Not long after, the noted paranormal investigator Harry Price interviewed Provand and Shearer. You may remember him from our Borley Rectory episode. He reported, and I paraphrase, I will say it once I was impressed. I could not shake their story and I had no right to disbelieve them. Of course, as with most ghost stories, there are believers and sceptics, and this story is no different. Some claimed the apparition in the photo was due to a smudge on the lens. Some say it was due to a double exposure of the statue of the Virgin Mary. And others have suggested it's a clever manipulation of a photo of Shearer coming down the stairs. In the early 19th century, King George IV saw her while he was staying at Rhinham Hall. He said that she stood beside his bed, wearing a brown dress, and her face was pale and her hair dishevelled. The brown lady was also sighted at Sandringham House and her former home of Houghton Hall, but it's said to have been a younger version of herself, perhaps trying to relive happier times. There are times I wonder if I was born in the wrong era because I love the 16 to late 1800s. The clothing, horse and carriages, and the everyday wearing of what we would now call costume jewellery that's only worn on nights out-out because you couldn't possibly get away with wearing big ornate necklaces with chandelier-sized earrings into the office or sitting behind a till nowadays. Or could we? But life back then wasn't all smiles and reading books under a tree with a fabulous picnic and a lace umbrella. On the outside it may have looked like that, but a lot of the time the picnic was a distraction. The umbrella was used to hide the fact that you were crying uncontrollably because you were hopelessly miserable. And the book was a way to pretend you were awfully busy and people would hopefully leave you alone to cry. The moral of the story is that not much has changed except now real life is on Instagram but everyone is still pretending. And ghosts haven't gotten any less vengeful. It just seems that the benevolent brown lady is just too sad to care enough to scare the holy bejeebas out of people. What did you think of that story? I think the ghosts don't... I I think the ghosts don't scare much people on Instagram because only the poltergeisty ones can can message. That's very true. Yeah, and also everybody's on drugs. Everybody has to be on drugs. I reckon that's why people were so complacent and so happy back in the day. Because there's no way that men would be able to get away. Although I suppose it was a different time. But everybody had to have been on some sort of drug to put up with these angry I'd men. S- I'd say the mother who had 19 children. That'd do it. To be, needed to be on some amount of <laughs> to get through the day. <laughs> ah, that was really sad though. I think in his, in his, pre- Charles's previous marriage to Elizabeth before she died, I think they also had like five or six kids or something. So it wasn't just that. Dorothy had her own seven kids. She also had stepkids as well. And she's kind of sitting there going, hang on a second. You went off and married somebody else. I did, you know, what I did to pass the time. I may or may not have been a mistress. And um, now you're holding that against me because you don't like him. Or I'm, I don't know, is it like she's not untouched anymore? Her virtue is not, she's not chaste. I'm like, oh, get over yourself. But I suppose that was the times that it was. And. I don't know. I don't know if it's that people back then were more inclined and more forward about 
telling people that they had seen something or if it's just nowadays we're all too afraid to like if you tell one person the whole of the town knows that's fine if you put it on instagram the whole goddamn world knows and then all of a sudden you're the crazy person who thinks that you have a ghost in your attic yeah because you can't really like turn around and go oh no well i suppose you wouldn't back then turn around and say oh no the king's lying it's like okay that's a very quick way to lose your head um, but it's just madness. Have you any characters for me? I know there was a lot of people mentioned. Let's, let's pretend that this is on the leaving search. Okay. <laughs> You're I hanging want, on to that one. I want you. Well, yeah, I came up with it all by myself by listening to Tommy Cannon's joke. I was going to say, yeah, uh, you didn't. Um, I want you to synopsize this okay. whole thing in like five sentences. Okay. So, Dorothy fell in love. Yes. Dorothy was not allowed to marry her love because uh, Daddy said, no, I don't want people thinking that. I said yes, just because uh-huh. he has money. He went off and married Elizabeth. Then Elizabeth died. In the interim, she had an affair or she was a mistress to Lord Wharton. Then she eventually got married to Charles. Charles found out and then bang, bang, Sorry. she's dead. Who was a mistress to, to Lord Wharton? So Dorothy, I don't know if it's a rumour or not, um, but apparently she was accused of having an affair while she was married and then her character was called into question. Just Dorothy? Yes. So Dorothy doesn't marry Charles, but does Dorothy marry Dorothy does marry Charles. She's his second wife. I know. Um, so while he's off gallivanting, making babies with Elizabeth, she decides to occupy her free time. Or maybe she doesn't. I don't I don't know. I don't know if she did or not. Yeah. Um, but there's rumours there. And the way they described it was a lady could not spend four and twenty hours. Uh, basically what they're saying is if you were seen going into that man's house, he wasn't just a man about yeah. the ladies. Right, right. So... Then what happens? Does Dorothy get locked Charles in? Charles finds out. Right. Goes absolutely ballistic and he locks her in the house. It's oh, actually yeah. an apartment in the in the, in the house. I have some pictures for you. Does the apartment have Wi-Fi? Like, <laughs> uh, what about, and who's this Countess Wharton woman? Uh, eventually, Lord Wharton has a wife. So his third wife? No, this is no, Lord Wharton. No, Lord Wharton, Wharton a has a real, a real woman. Not a real woman. <laughs> Makes an honest woman. a real woman. Where does Wharton... Of Countess fit into this room. It's a nice little gap. It's freaking huge. Look at the the long driveway, though. Doesn't it seem like the typical movie where the girl gets dropped off at, like, the boarding school and it's all thunderstorms when she's... Yeah, like every just, girl's boarding school movie I've seen. Yeah, yeah. All one of them. That's the photo. One of some stairs? That is the photo that they took of the staircase. Okay. It's just a... Uh, a sheet of light coming through hitting some dust at Or that, or drugs. Yeah. Yeah, let's go with drugs. Do you know what it actually looks like? It looks like the water container my mum has the holy water in. Yeah. The but that's Mother what people Mary were saying. The Virgin Mary, yeah. That's why people were saying that it could. It looked like it was a double exposure. But that seems to be the only part of that double exposure that's come true. There's no other parts of furniture or walls or architrave or anything else that's come across it's literally just the picture of the virgin mary that's managed to somehow get its way across but that's the inside of it Stephen, the place is fabulous like i know i go on a bit about architecture and i go on about the history of who built what and what built who and the place is stunning now i do think i said that it was a three-story but it was very hard to figure this out right so, so that's a half story. So that's, that's that'll be the basement. Or the yeah. kitchen. Yeah, all of them sort of jabberonies. But um, then does this count as an upstairs, upstairs, upstairs? Uh, that would be an attic space. Probably, it's probably um, 
Not the way it's built and looking at the windows out the side. Servants' quarters or something, maybe. I, no, they're probably rooms. It could be servants' yeah, quarters. It does look like a whole floor. Yeah, especially with the flat roof running uh, <sighs> east-west there. Sorry, I keep forgetting that people can't see what we're looking at, but I will put the links in the description and you can have a look-see. Um, also, her own home. The, the houses, and I swear to God, I could literally do a whole episode on this area in Norfolk alone because all of the big houses just seem to be somewhat haunted. All of them. Every single one of them. Yeah. This is her home. This is where she grew up. Like, they're not small houses by any stretch of the imagination. What sure. in the name of God that's is that a duck? That's a duck hanging by its foot with a knot on it. Just in case he didn't know. Here lies duck. <laughs> but that's our family home. Oh. Like, these houses are not small, Stephen. They're no. absolutely gigantic. So do you want some characters? Go, go, go. So I'm going to pull some characters from the ground this week for obvious reasons. Two people that did the Queen, the rest are so justice. But I think Claire Foy, I, I picture the grey lady being a bit the younger end of the two actors. Brown. Brown. Yes. Claire Foy is a brown. <laughs> Charles. Yes. Uh, Matt Smith played Prince Philip, the young Prince Philip in in this one. Yes. Oh, he has a very stern face. Lord Wharton. Uh, there's a few good actors in there. Let me just... You can say Johnny Depp. It's okay. No, I don't want to say Johnny Depp. But... <laughs> It's funny because one of the scribbles I have down here is Helen Bonham Carter. We haven't a person we're here. She could play Countess Wharton, I suppose. They do work really, really well together. Yeah, I think they're friends or something as well. But she's in this and she plays they plays the character really well, I think. Um, and then Jared Harris, who played King George in season one, was very good. And he would make a good Lord Wharton. Yes. Yes, I think he would. And that's that's the four main characters of today's episode. That was a really good lineup. It's hard when there's a lot yeah. of characters at play and you kind of, you don't want to just throw no. someone in just for the sake of them. Would you like to know the rabbit hole they fell yeah, down this give week? It. Now, it's kind of just, I don't know anyone who would actually let their kids listen to ghost stories. Our, our kids are probably going to learn the good old fashioned way of sneaking downstairs while they're being babysat and creeping in the door trying to watch all the urban legends and stuff like that. But if you do end up letting your kids listen to this, Maybe don't let them listen to the next part. So my list comes from the thrillist.com. I will include the website. Uh, it was really interesting to read it. But it's uh, a salacious guide to history's horniest monarchs because I was fascinated oh. with how many people have actually taken mistresses. Um, oh. So just to give you a brief rundown, there was a lot more than this, but I only took down three just to keep it nice and short. The first one there is Henry I. Uh, he was King of England from 1100 to 1135. Now again, if I read anything from this that you're kind of like, oh, Annette, you never say stuff like this. I'm reading it verbatim, so just bear with me. So it says, you can probably thank England's first King Henry for the royal term, sorry, for the, for the term royal bastard. The man left behind over 20 illegitimate kids. He's been called the undisputed royal record holder for fathering illegitimate children. Um, Henry only married twice in his lifetime, first to Matilda of Scotland and then after that to Adeliza of Novain, I think it's pronounced. Um, he had two kids with Matilda, one son died and then the uh, nun with his second wife. But his lineage was more than secured thanks to the numerous affairs with very fertile women. Uh, one of the longest running mistresses was Sybil Corbett. But if we're talking best named Anne's Frida, Nab's the uncontested win. Now, I'm not sure that, if they're... That almost sounds like hands-free. <laughs> I'm 
I'm not sure if they're kind of taking the mick there or if they don't actually like the name. I think the name is beautiful. And I looked it up. It's Norwegian. And, My and mistress Frida. is Hansfrey. And Frida. Uh, it means protected by the gods. I don't know why I looked it up. I just thought it was really interesting. The second there, this couple, I swear to God, I don't even know why people get married. Um, Henry the five, four, Henry the fourth, and Margaret of France, King and Queen of France, from 1589 to 1599. Uh, although the marriage was annulled in 1599, she didn't die. And then Henry continued on until 1610. During their marriage, neither Henry or Margaret has an easy time with the whole fidelity thing. Henry was nicknamed the Green Gallant for his popularity with the ladies. He was known to ditch his armies to shack up with one of his mistresses, Charlotte de, de Sauve, I think it's pronounced, yeah. and Gabrielle d'Estries, to name just a few, and he almost got wiped out by gonorrhea. He would eventually annul his childless marriage to Margaret so he could marry Marie de Medici of the famous and wealthy Florentine family, but Margaret was no nun. Uh, even the encyclopedia notes she was known for her licentiousness. I can't pronounce it, but basically it means lacking morals or uh, moral restraints, especially disregarding sexual restraints. Her most famous affair was with John Boniface de la Mole. I'm butchering these names, I'm very sorry. Who was later tortured and executed for conspiring against the king. Uh, the whole thing was dramatised in André Dumas' novel La Reine Margot. Is that possibly pronounced La Reine Margot? Maybe. Is it? That was published one year after the better known gem, The Three Musketeers. And then the last one I have here, this man, I just, I love reading about him. He's so interesting. Uh, Henry VIII, King of England from 1509 to 1547, which is a really long reign when you think about it, because a lot of them have very short reigns. Yeah. Uh, so the most famous philanderer of the bunch, Henry established a pattern pretty early on. This is, this is how you do it, okay? So step one, get a wife. Step two, tire of her easily when she can't produce a male heir. Step three, acquire a side piece. Step four, get rid of the wife through divorce or death. Step five, marry mistress, repeat cycle. That's basically what he did. Uh, I think he got married like six or seven times or something. Um, Henry <clears throat> poured around uh, outside his circle of six wives. That's what it was. He slept with his second wife's sister. Mary Boleyn, so that would have been Anne Boleyn, and may or may not have fathered her two children. Uh, but before that, he shacked up with Elizabeth Blount, who popped out a kid named Henry Fitzroy, whom Han Henry actually acknowledged because it was very unheard of for any, any king to acknowledge an illegitimate child. He would also fool around with Boleyn's cousin, Margaret, or Madge Shelton, or maybe her sister Mary. Now, historians aren't sure. Some even think that Madge is an amalgam of the two, but it's definitely a Shelton girl. There are a bunch more besides them. Historians Kelly Hunt insists he had at least 12 mistresses outside his wives, possibly twice that, confirming that Henry VIII would have anchored the best episode of Murray ever. Like What's Murray? What a, what a, is, is that a TV show? <laughs> Do you not know what Murray is? No. It's like, um, oh, I might get into trouble for saying this, but it's kind of like the Walmart version of Jerry Springer. Oh, it's so one of them Dr. Phil. They have daytime. some British ones. I actually really enjoy the British ones. Um, mm -hmm. uh, so that's the rabbit hole I fell down this week. That was really good. I like the history part, but I, I, I like the part that I'm kind of like, 
that's not what I learned about the school. I remember learning about Henry VIII. I remember learning about Anne Boleyn. I remember learning about all of that, but I don't remember any mention of the mistresses. And it's that side of history that I'm just kind of like, <gasps> scandal. And I'm like, I want to know who was boinking who back in the 1800s. We finish it there? Say your words. Okay. So thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you have any questions regarding today's or any other episodes, please feel free to DM us on our Instagram. It's what's the story ghost. Our email is what's the story ghost at gmail.com. If you want to share any of your own personal stories with us, I will include all of the links in the description. And those are all my words. Exit jingle. Exit jingle. Bye. Oh, that was really short. Go again. <laughs> Boop, 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 boop.